In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. When your space has the long-lasting, noticeable scent of Airwick Vibrant Scented Oils, you'll want to invite everyone over, from book club to the fantasy league, even the in-laws. It smells amazing. Airwick Vibrant Scented Oils are infused with two times more natural essential oils versus regular Airwick Scented Oils for our most authentic, nature-inspired fragrance experience. Hmm. Transform your space with scents like white sage and mahogany or lavender and water lily. Now that's a breath of fresh Airwick. The Jersey Devil. Is it a kangaroo-like creature with the head of a goat, horse, or dog? Most agree that it has wings, hooves, horns, and a tail. Where does it come from? Many describe a dragon-like creature. Or does it walk on two legs like others have reported? Some say it can fly. Legends uh, say it has been killed. It supposedly once survived a cannonball blast. It emits a blood-curdling scream. It may be a pterodactyl. It can die and come back. It's almost certainly demonic. It's murdered uh, its own human mother and some midwives moments after its birth before flying up a chimney. It has a NHL hockey team named after it. There's a good chance it worked as a roadie on Bruce Springsteen's Darkness Tour in the summer of 1978, handling sound check duties and replacing guitarist Steven Van Zant's signature bandana whenever he either sweated through it or when he felt like a new bandana was needed to help him uh, get into the correct artistic zone to play certain songs like Born to Run. Okay, so maybe I made up the Springsteen ship, but the rest of this info does come from historical accounts. So when did the legend of this creature originate? What do people think this creature is? What does it want? Is there any cryptozoological basis for the legend? Or do the origins of the Jersey Devil have nothing to do with the beast at all? Let's get weird, time suckers. Let's head to Jersey. Back to the beginning. Crawl into the darkest corners of the Garden State to solve the enduring mystery of the Jersey Devil today on Time Suck. You're listening to Time Suck. Happy Monday, suckers. Hail Nimrod. Praise Bojangles. Be gone, Lucifina. I'm Dan Cummins. This is Time Suck. Happy Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Uh, I would do a Time Suck on Dr. King, but it's already been done. It's already been sucked. One of my faves, actually. Uh, Time Suck 42, if you haven't checked that out already. Recording from the Suck Dungeon again today with Josh Krell, watching the levels, tweaking the sound a bit again uh, since last week, trying to trying to find that perfect spot. I'm sure we'll be uh, continually adjusting in ways that you, you won't even notice. Uh, a couple quick tour dates. I hope uh, hope you're buying tickets too. And then it's on to the Jersey Devil. Super cool time sucker update this week uh, regarding getting out of a traffic ticket due to being in the cult of the curious. That has happened now, uh, which I think is fantastic. Providence, Rhode Island, January 19th and 20th. That's this week. Comedy Connection. Get over there, damn it. Come see me this weekend. Uh, again, no show in Chicopee, Massachusetts on January 21st because the venue went out of business. Didn't tell anybody. Uh, hope that never happens again. Philadelphia, January 25th to the 27th. Get to the punchline. Baltimore, January 28th at Magoobies. Tickets on sale now. Chicago, January 31st through Feb 3rd. Tell me that you're coming to Zanies. Rosemont Zanies, uh, amazing comedy club. One of my favorites. New York City, Gotham Comedy Club. One night only. 
February 11th. Uh, finally getting back to New York. Detroit, uh, February 16th, the Magic Bag in Ferndale with the boys from the Small Town Murder, James and Jimmy. One show swap cast, other stand-up. Stand-up show almost sold out. Minneapolis tickets on sale. Uh, stand-up shows March 2nd and 3rd. Very limited tickets. The live time suck in Minneapolis already sold out. I did tell you tickets would go fast, and they went real fast. Uh, so sorry for those of you who cannot make that. Uh, Cleveland just added to the calendar March 22nd to the 24th. Another live podcast added in Spokane, Washington. One show only Sunday, May 6th. More announcements at the end of the show, including some more tour dates. I uh, got some new dates in uh, Texas, Tejas. And now it's Jersey Devil time. <laughs> to learn about the Jersey Devil, we got to head to the Pine Barrens of Jersey, Central and Southeast Jersey. Got to talk about some piney culture. Pine Barrens take up uh, 1.1 million acres. The Pinelands National Reserve, America's first national reserve, established 1978. 22% of New Jersey's total land area. Largest body of open space on the Mid-Atlantic seaboard between Richmond, Virginia and Boston, Massachusetts. Now, while, while there are no towns uh, in the reserve today, there used to be several. Uh, you know, there's ruins of ghost towns are found throughout the dense forest. There's, there's old towns, places with names like Rattlesnake, Aces Town, Calico, New Egypt, Populated by people referred to as pineys. Living conditions in the sandy, acidic soil of the Pine Barrens was hard. The land was considered unfarmable by early settlers. And those who decided to live there were considered to be the dregs of society by East Coast city folk and even small town northern New Jersey uh, folk. Uh, the pineys were, were fugitives from the law. They were poachers, moonshiners, runaway slaves, deserting soldiers. Early pineys, as Barron's residents called themselves, included Quakers who had been expelled from their meetings for fighting in the revolution, outlaws, smugglers, Tory lo- loyalists known as the refugees who, despite their politics, rode in packs, killed and robbed indiscriminately. Well, pineys uh, also uh, they, they mined bog iron during colonial times, which appears to be as horrible as it sounds. A lot of revolutionary steel was carried out of the Pine Barrens. Bog iron is literally just chunks of bog ore, big chunks of oxidized iron, giant rocks that you dig out of the bog mud. From what I saw online, uh, the rocks size-wise tend to be somewhere between the size of a cantaloupe, the size of a small watermelon, and you dig them out of the mud. You collect them uh, from the bottom of a pond. You you carry them to have the iron smelted out of them. Very low-tech type of mining, light on equipment, heavy on back-breaking manual labor. Uh, Dudes with shovels. Literally just digging rocks out of nasty old bog mud. Or even worse, uh, dudes without shovels digging rocks out of mud. I just picture uh, some poor dude in his you know, ratty old boots just poking around in the in the mud with a stick. Trying to, trying to find an iron rock. Ah, it sounds terrible. And many, many of the pioneers mining this bog, uh, or they were part of a culture of living off the grid. Various cabins sprinkled throughout the forest. These, these pioneers were poor people. Kind of the Jersey equivalent to the poor Appalachian people of West Virginia and the backwoods rural folk of uh, Kentucky. I can picture the Idaho County, uh, the Idaho County equivalent where I grew up. There was this family uh, that I that I would see growing up. I'll just refer to them as the Johnsons, so I don't embarrass embarrass any of them if they somehow listen to podcasts now and have, and have shown up in civilization. I worked at a grocery store in Riggins uh, uh, when I was in high school. And sometimes I would just work early in the morning before school started and then before, uh, you know, uh, stock and freight, just, you know, before it kind of opened up. Well, the Johnsons would come down from their family mountain ranch about once a month with supplies, and they'd come in early before the store opened. They'd stock up on flour, sugar, butter, other perishables, canned food, and just take several shopping carts of shit back up to the ranch far away from town. And other than that, other than occasionally grabbing a bunch of fuel as well, no, no one would ever see them. 
they avoided town as best they could, and, and they looked like people who had been cast in some strange hillbilly movie, like like Deliverance. If you've ever seen that old movie, straight out of Deliverance, straight out of like the people under the stairs, uh, hills have eyes. Uh, dental care, not a strong family priority. Uh, they did not have even a passing casual interest in toothbrushes or toothpaste. They were not stocking up on a lot of toothpaste when they came in. They were not stocking up on a lot of deodorant, not buying a lot of shampoo and conditioner. Probably didn't know what conditioner was. Uh, didn't seem to be big fans of soap in general. And, and they looked off in addition to uh, literally just you know smelling uh, pretty offensively and, uh, and looking like literally like a, like a layer of dirt on their skin. Uh, they just had facial characteristics that seemed to correlate with generations of inbreeding and porn attrition. I know this sounds horrible, but if this family popped out in a movie, if you saw them, you'd be like, oh, shit, what the fuck? Like, uh, yeah, just a very kind of backwoodsy look. Like, there's a reason the characters look like that in movies. And, and, and it seems like the backwoods of the Pine Barrens in New Jersey had, had some of these families. And this rural backwoods area of Jersey served as kind of a cultural Petri dish for growing the strange, strange le- legend of the Jersey Devil. Uh, there was old dirt roads cutting through the trees to clay factories and paper mills and wood mills, cranberry bogs. You know, back in the 1918 centuries where some of these pineys worked uh, along the roads were roadhouse inns, taverns where outsiders were rumored to have been robbed and killed. You know, some of the characters you can watch on uh, HBO's Boardwalk Empire came from this rough and rugged place like uh, Enoch Johnson. Uh, he's a real-life inspiration for Buscemi, Steve Buscemi's main character, Atlantic City Kingpin, Nucky Thompson. Great show, by the way. And uh, Sopranos. There, uh, Sopranos referenced the Pine Barrens and uh, Pineys, and there was at least uh, one Sopranos episode where uh, Polly and Chris got stuck out in the Barrens. You know? uh, anyway, in uh, May of 1859, an article appeared in Atlantic Monthly which described the culture of the inhabitants of the Pine Barrens <laughs> as aboriginal in its savagery. Uh, the residents were referred to as pine rats and described as people uh, barely human in their squalid living conditions and besotted and brutish in their ignorance. Jeez, this is in the uh, this is in a you know uh, literary article, just like ah, these fucking people are animals. Uh, sounds like the Johnson family. I remember though, uh, in the early 1900s, the, the living conditions and inhabitants of the Barrens were so concerning. Uh, to other people that a eugenic study was carried out by an American psychologist, Henry H. Goddard, and, and the study labeled the Pineys as genetically inferior, almost subhuman, like a, just a group of intellectual inferiors. I mean, Jesus. Goddard was looking into a genetic cause for what he labeled feeble-mindedness, which was a general category of conditions which included mental retardation, learning disabilities, and mental illness. He studied the ancestry of a Pine Barrens woman by the name of Eva Wolverton, uh, he changed her name for the book. That was a real name, born in 1889. And according to Goddard, Emma's piney family was uh, – her family tree was just, just full of nothing but criminals, inbreds, uh, folks with various levels of mental retardation, bas- basically a bunch of lazy, good-for-nothing delinquents you know, with no moral compasses, uh, just a bunch of like cousin fuckers. Like he just painted the, the worst picture of these people. And all of these conditions were, you know, were traced back by Goddard to some kids born out of wedlock generations prior. He just came to this weird conclusion that this m- initial moral lapse – you know, these bastards born out of wedlock were the origin of all kinds of undesirable traits. And this living a sinful life could genetically destroy your lineage. And he actually published a book, The Calacac Family. That's the name he made up for this family. Uh, the pseudonym that was wildly successful, a book that warned people that, you know, shacking up with the wrong guy or gal could just, just annihilate your family tree. You know, you take up with a girl from the wrong side of the tracks and suddenly your kids are just going to look like extras, you know, from the, from the hills have eyes, you know. Cheat on your wife with a piney and you're going to end up having a couple of three-eyed hunchbacks living under your front porch, you know, 
just snacking on neighborhood pets they've managed to snag with their critter-like raccoon paw hands. You know, I was, I've been thinking that Bojangles, you know, was an immortal former inhabitant of Atlantis, a prophet of Nimrod, a time-traveling fighter of communism. But maybe he's just some kind of piney carny. What if our fearless, one-eyed, three-legged mascot did not lose an eye, did not lose a leg in an epic battle with Zeus? Right? What if he was born one-eyed and three-legged because his mom was also his sister, cousin, grandma, and somehow even his uncle as well? What if his dad was his half-brother, first cousin, and stepmom? What if he wasn't fighting communism in South American jungles with Triple M? Yeah, I'm on time, suck! What if he was selling elephant ears and running the Tilt-A-Whirl for some Atlantic City carnival? Anywho, uh, Goddard's book and findings have uh, since been discredited. He was a total quack, but at the time, he stereotyped the Pineys as a bunch of poor, uneducated, inbred, deviant hillbillies. And the public at large just lapped it up. They totally believed his assessment. And if you're wondering who Bojangles is and what that was all about, you need to listen to some more episodes, all right? Don't you get your shit together. Hell, Nimrod! Well, Goddard was far from the only uh, historical figure to malign these poor people. In 1913, a researcher named Elizabeth Kite published a report called The Pineys that included tales of heavy drinking, livestock being quartered in children's bedrooms, and widespread inbreeding. Here are some of Elizabeth's findings. She says, Several children lived in shacks with a woman and successive male companions, or vice versa, to whom they may or may not have been married, but to whom each could have had bloodline ties. The women were not prostitutes. They were adamantly defensive of their men, who were often abusive. But they saw no wrong in having a frolic with another man, nor did they object to their own man's wanderings. Children raised in this atmosphere had no example of moral conduct, saw no need to alter the pattern of existence, and so continued to perpetuate and spread this contamination. Existence was basically hand-to-mouth. Wants were simple. Cleanliness practically unheard of, and venereal disease rampant. <laughs> wow. Sounds both horrible and amazing. Back when I was 21-year-old dirtbag, the old Pine Barrens might have been just a place to hang out, right? Have some Bacchanalian utopia. Well, she allegedly witnessed the following incident firsthand. Said, the husband swore at Meg over some soup she had cooked and said, I'd like to know whatever I married you for. To which Meg replied, because old Dory Foster made you. That made the husband madder and he broke the soup plate over her head. When the couple was arrested some time later for instigating the children to breaking into homes and smash, <laughs> Jesus Christ, and smashing and scattering the possessions, the father was glad of a legal opportunity to leave. Meg, having mothered 11 children, two illegitimate and four in-state mental institutions, said she'd get out and get another man. It is. It doesn't even sound real. It's so over the top. Uh, on second thought, maybe maybe it it's always sounds terrible. Maybe at 21 I would have uh, hated it. It is just like cartoonishly hillbilly, right? It sounds like a utopia for old Ricky Randy and Rodney Bobby. You know, hot damn, Ricky Randy. Oh, we don't found paradise. None hardly any working. None hardly any sole responsibilities. Homemade soup, uh, lots of baby making, uh, but the babies done do raise themselves. Oh, you preaching to the choir, Bird Band, band Robbie Bobby. Oh, just like a old home was, nothing but mama, sister, girlfriends. Uh, they don't raise you, cook for you, make a man out of you, uh, make a man out of your friends. Party forever, party forever. Oh, now let's go hunt that uh, swamp devil. Oh, let's go and kill that kangaroo bat. Oh, let's go get some kangaroo bat soup for breakfast supper. Woo, woo, woo. <laughs> I'm picturing just that level of just nonsense. Well, uh, a lot of people did not think it was utopia. Uh, they were disgusted by what they'd heard was going on in the Pine Barrens, and they wanted to do something about it. This is unbelievable to me. In March of 1913, Woodrow Wilson, 
uh, resigned as governor and went straight to the Pine Barrens and just started fucking fucking as many pines as he could. And he has 78 piney children. No. Uh, he resigned as governor of New Jersey, become 28th president of the United States. And then the Senate uh, president of New Jersey, James F. Fielder, Democrat from Jersey City, succeeded Wilson as acting governor, uh, began campaigning to keep his new job come November. And he campaigned largely on the platform of reforming the people who lived in the wilderness of Pine Barrens. Uh, right. All this was uh, – these people were fresh in Jersey residents' minds thanks to that recent publication of Kite's report, and he was going to do something about this blight upon society. Well, according to a newspaper account, Fielder traveled to Burlington, New Jersey, Burlington County, and uh, was introduced to a 31-year-old Southampton farmhand and his 18-year-old bride, the man's third marriage to date with no record of divorce from the previous two. And they were so unfortunate-looking, he vomited – all over their dirty, piney faces. And these two degenerates, far from being offended, were happy to have a free meal. Uh, they licked most of his puke off of each other's faces and out of each other's beards, and they fucked right in front of him, both making steady, creepy eye contact with the politician the entire time. Uh, the moment they were done, a newborn gremlin popped out of the woman's butt, snatched the startled governor's wallet, and ran up a tree uh, while the gremlin's parents broke into some kind of banjo duet you know just well looky here now got some puke tastiest puke i ever did lick out of my woman's beard well looky here now with the full belly i made a butt baby with a woman on mine and the governor's wallet we got Woo -woo! all right he didn't vomit on their faces but he was disgusted with them uh, the piney, the piney farmhand recently uh, had been released from jail on bigamy charges, which authorities were forced to drop when it was revealed his previous two wives had been married to other men at the same time. Uh, they were exchanging wedding vows with him. So technically, the farmhand never had uh, previously been legally married and was not a bigamist. It's just bigamy canceling out uh, more bigamy. That is just uh, some next-level hillbilly backwoods tomfoolery. Uh, in front of some journalists, the acting governor quizzed the farmhand on the month – and the year and the man drew a blank, uh, <laughs> that is pretty bad. Uh, makes me feel a little better about usually not knowing what day it is. Uh, the wife wasn't much better, uh, somehow managing to work into a conversation that she had no idea who her father was as multiple spouses were a, long, were a longstanding family tradition. And the governor, morally outraged, felt he had to take drastic measures to keep these degenerates from c continuing to breed. He said, the state must segregate and sterilize these people, particularly the mature ones. He said that to the to Boston Evening Transcript, and the news made the wire services. Uh, the headline uh, in the Boston newspaper on, on June 28, 1913 was, New Jersey Degenerates. And then it said, terrible conditions found by Governor Fielder among the Pineys. Segregation and sterilization advocated. That is, I mean, holy shit. As backwards as people were in some ways at the turn of the 20th century, it was not common, especially politically, to just openly advocate sterilization, especially advocating sterilizing white people. Uh, this is white people wanting to sterilize other white people at the dawn of the 20th century. That shit was unheard of. Uh, rightly or wrongly, the Pineys were looked uh, at as just being so cartoonishly impoverished and morally bankrupt. There was just nothing to be done with them. Uh, other than just to sterilize them and just to pr prevent more pineys from from showing up, you know. Just, well, look at here now, I got some puke, tasty puke, I've a did lick out of my woman's beard. Well, look at here now, try to get a wife, but you had too many husbands, but at least I won't have to go to jail. <laughs> just you know, they don't have have to rhyme. Remember, these aren't you know these aren't talented musicians. Uh, okay, so while an influx of tourists and modernization has changed the culture of the pineys today. Uh, there are now a middle class and wealthy pineys. There still is a stigma 
Uh, in a chat room online, I found a comment left by someone in 2010 who states their grandma said that the Pineys were, quote, dwarves who are hostile to outsiders. And he asked others if this was true. So random to add dwarf. Like, I'm not sure what that has to do with being backwoods. They, they were inbreeders and thieves and living in squalor and lazy. And, and worst of all, uh, they were far shorter than the average man. I will not visit no place, no how, full of inbred, lazy, thieving, short people. Uh, the Pine Barrens, uh, you know, that area is still seriously impoverished. As of 2016, over one in three Atlantic City residents lived below the federal poverty line, meaning they either made less than 12000 a year uh, as an individual or made less than 25000 a year as a family of four. God, man, reading about all this reminds me of uh, working at Child Protective Services in college. Uh, there were some incredibly impoverished little rural communities around Spokane where no one in the family – and I'm not just you know doing this comedically. It's just the way it was. No one in the family had all their teeth. Uh, most had very few of them, it seemed, especially you know, like the front ones, the, some of the important ones. Uh, no one had a high school education, uh, drug abuse common, you know, uh, and just – yeah, just no care for personal hygiene or basic nutritional needs. And I, on a few occasions, had to accompany a social worker and remove children physically from a truly squalid – uh, just appalling living condition uh, situation. Had to take kids from parents who, who truly should not be allowed to, to be parents. So I will say, as is, is horrific as it sounds, part of me uh, does understand the the want for sterilization. When you just see kid after kid born into a home that is just a fucking nightmare. You're like, why are these why are these people allowed to just keep creating more hardship and just keep adding more hardship into their treats? Uh, there was one lady. She was a sex offender. Uh, the state would take any kid that she gave birth to, just like from the hospital. She was not allowed to ever keep a child again. She was pregnant every year uh, for just many years in a row. It was just like what the f- – just like fucking a, a foster child factory, just a human foster child factory. Uh, when you see shit like that, you're like, ah, OK. I'll fucking listen to your sterilization talk. Uh, okay, so while there was a lot of unnecessary slander regarding the Pineys base and everything I've read, I, I have no di- doubt that life in the Pine Barrens for many was, you know, backwoods as fuck. Uh, I, I was reading one article where an author said that in some parts of the Barrens, you might only be five miles from some cute little tourist trap of a township, but suddenly it feels like you're three time zones away, you know, uh, in a completely different culture. So the more I read about the Pine Barrens, the more I thought about horror movies, you know, it sounds like the kind of place where crazy axe wielding hill folk chase around college kids, you know, staying in a cabin. On spring break, some kind of B-movie slasher flick. If any piney time suckers think this assessment is way, way off, by the way, please write in and correct me. Uh, I will eat my words. Uh, So whether or not it really is as backwoods as article after article after article claim, uh, there is no doubt that it is in these woods where the Jersey Devil legend was born and where it has most often been spotted. So what exactly is the Jersey Devil? Let's talk about some possibilities. Is Is it a bird? That's one theory. One theory is that the Jersey Devil is a bird, possibly a sandhill crane. Crane used to live in South Jersey until it was pushed out by man. Sandhill crane weighs about 12 pounds, is uh, four foot high, wingspan of 80 inches, avoids man, but uh, if confronted, it will fight. Uh, it's good with a knife. Randomly, uh, they found a, they used to find a lot of they would they would collect these birds that are attracted to shiny objects, and sometimes uh, they would just I guess like with their mouths, whatever like that, they would kind of like you know just pick up a knife and then kind of like a so weird but kind of like a what is that goal? It would like store the knife kind of under their tongue, and sometimes when confronted, it would just kind of like spit, like half spit out like a pocket knife, and just you know stab a motherfucker. So that's that's made up. I just made up that knife stuff, but that'd be amazing if that was true. Uh, had a wingspan of it, yeah, eighty inches, you know, and uh, we'll 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 confront if confronted, we'll fight. Uh, that that part's true. Loud scream, that part's true. Loud scream has a whooping voice, can be heard at a distance. That could account of uh, some of the screams heard by some of the witnesses. 
Crane also eats potatoes and corn. This could account for some some raids on crops that have been attributed to the Jersey Devil over the years. Uh, also, the crane has a head of a demon, prefers the taste of human flesh and shapeshifts and time travel. So, you know, that could be looking, you know, no, yeah, yeah, right. Probably not. Probably not a crane. The crane theory does not explain the killing of livestock. It's been attributed to the Jersey Devil. doesn't explain why people describe the devil as having a horse's head, bat wings, tail. You know, I haven't seen I haven't seen a crane with those attributes. Uh, there's a pterodactyl theory. It's crazy. <laughs> as crazy as that sounds, and it is crazy. A uh, man who goes by the name of Professor Brawlhopf. Uh, may or may not be a professor since his name only seems to appear in cryptozoology books and he never lists the college he supposedly teaches at or has taught at. And he has said that the tracks were made by a prehistoric animal from the Jurassic period because there's been tracks kind of like Bigfoot footprints that are found from time to time. They'll find these hoof tracks and it's the Jersey Devil. They say, well, he thinks it's a pterodactyl. You know, that's that's that's, that's preposterous. Uh, well, Reverend Dr. Professor Brauhoff, uh, he believes the creature has survived underground in a cavern. Uh-huh. Uh, another expert who claims to have worked at the Smithsonian Institute but doesn't have a LinkedIn profile to verify that uh, also has a theory about ancient creatures surviving underground. He said the Jersey Devil was a pterodactyl, uh, but the Academy of Natural Sciences could find no record of any creature living or extinct that resembles the Jersey Devil. <laughs> resembles it. What, what the fuck? How is it? How is one pterodactyl going to stay alive in a cave for at least sixty-five million years? What is it eating? You know, more importantly, how is it going to avoid dying of old age? Did, did I miss hearing that pterodactyls are immortals, that they're highlanders, that they don't die on their own, they can only be killed? I, I feel like I would remember that from school. Is there some type of anti-aging cavern out there I don't know about in Jersey? Is that where, you know, the the, font, the fountain of youth really is? Should I be living in a cage? Does, does Jennifer Aniston live in a cage? Is that why she always looks the same? Should I be living in a cage with Jennifer Aniston? Should I leave my family for Jennifer Aniston? There's, it's, there's so many questions. It's all very confusing. Should I kidnap and murder Reverend Dr. Professor Brawlhoff and dump his body in a cave? If I did that, would it come back to life? I don't know. I don't know. That sounds uh, crazy. There's the deformed child theory, which is uh, Jack E. Uh, Boucher, uh, author of As Absagami Yesteryear, uh, whatever the hell that is, has a theory in which he believes the Jersey Devil is a deformed child. He thinks Mrs. Leeds, the woman most associated with the legend, has a disfigured piney child, kept it locked away in a house. I'm not kidding. Uh, she grew sick, couldn't feed the child anymore. It escaped out of hunger, raided local farms for food. Uh, this theory does does not take into an, an account the incredible lifespan of the devil. The child would have had been uh, 174 years old in 1909. It doesn't account for the sightings of the devil flying. And I don't think a kid who's locked up in a room somewhere for years, once he or she gets out, is going to be able to figure out uh, how to live off stolen goods. But, I mean, sometimes these things you know, do happen, and then all of a sudden uh, you know, future sightings are just people's imaginations based on an original legend. But I just I, – I don't know. I highly doubt that, a, that it was a deformed child. I feel like somebody would have just caught it. Somebody would have just you know, got a hold of the poor kid and we figure, would have figured it out. Uh, there's you know, uh, the thought that it's just been a series of hoaxes. You know? It's just a bunch of practical jokes. I mean possibly. But the Jersey Devil has, by, you know, has been seen, uh, you know, at least according to them, by reliable people such as police, government officials, postmasters, businessmen as opposed to just kind of piney riffraff. I mean, you know, unfortunately, none of them have any good documentation for these sightings, but, you know, they, they, they seem to have believed it. Um, as for the hoof prints, if, even if some were hoaxes, there's no way to explain, I mean, maybe all of the tracks, you know, how some ended abruptly as, as if the creature took wing. I don't know. But, but I also think that some people are really, really good at uh, practical jokes. I actually uh, had some buddies in college that lived over in Seattle, and on Snoqualmie Pass, they, would, <laughs> they got a gorilla suit 
and they would just uh, uh, on the on the Seattle side of Snoqualmie Pass, they would just like all of a sudden run across the freeway in this gorilla suit and run back into the woods, like l- just do that just to make people believe in Sasquatch, just because they thought that was hilarious. So you know, people do weird shit, uh, and you know. People can do a series of practical jokes for sure. Okay, there, there's there, there's the embodiment of uh, evil itself. Many people believe the Jersey Devil is the very essence of evil. Uh, you know, it's an uncanny harbinger of war, kind of like a Mothman. Uh, you know, it appears before any great conflict. The Jersey Devil is uh, sighted before the start of the Civil War. It was seen right before the Spanish-American War, World War I, 1939, before the start of World War II. Uh, Mount Holly citizens were awakened by the noises of hooves on their rooftops. The devil was seen on uh, December 7th, 1941, right before the Pearl Harbor was bomb- bombed, seen right before the Vietnam War, uh, you know, all allegedly. You know, if, if, uh, if only someone had a decent pick. Man, note to piney time suckers, please, steal what you need to steal to raise money for a camera of some sort. Figure out how to teach your inbred piney fingers how to work a camera. Stop having sex with your cousins and siblings for one day. Lay off the moonshine for just a couple hours. Buy a camera so you can get some Jersey Devil proof. Uh, another... <laughs> Another Jersey uh, Devil origin story is it's the result of a curse. It was a young Leeds Point girl who had fallen in love with a British soldier. The British had come to the region because of the iron furnaces at uh, Batstow Village, you know, where they were supplying the privateers with a steel. And uh, remember all that bog iron? In, in 1778, the British engaged the Americans at the Battle of Chestnut Creek. The townsfolk opposed the match, calling her uh, liaison an act of treason, and they cursed the girl. According to legend, she, she later gave birth to a child, and it was the Leeds Devil. Well, you know, I guess that explains it. Why didn't I just state that earlier? You know, she was cursed and she gave birth to a devil, and those are the facts. Next creature, next time suck. A variation on this tale uh, tells of a young woman who encounters a passing gypsy begging for food. She was frightened and refused, and the, and the gypsy cursed her uh, for refusal. Years later in 1850, with the curse forgotten, uh, when, the, when the girl gave birth to her first child, a male, he became a devil and fled into the woods. Uh, all right, this, this has got to be what happened for sure, man. Who was more capable of cursing than a piney gypsy? That's like that's like a gypsy squared. Only human more capable of cursing is a gypsy piney carney, a true immortal. A gypsy piney carney is unkillable. They can live years on just a few bags of cotton candy and a jug of moonshine. They can hibernate in their pterodactyl caves. Uh, is it the pr- product of a Halloween ritual? Uh, that's a that's a theory. You know, it was uh, in October of 1830, a resident of Vienna, New Jersey, Mr. John Vallette, was entertaining his children with a mask he made, a mask of a monstrous face. It became a yearly tradition adopted by other local townsmen. Popularity grew, repeated late in October as parents and children alike put on scary faces and costumes. Nah, I don't fucking buy that for a second. All right, so these, but these are the, the main possibilities I've seen tossed forth by the web. Uh, before we can suck into where I think the legend came from, let's go over some uh, Jersey Devil sightings. These are some of the most prominent alleged sightings, doled out in no particular chronological order. Uh, the Jersey Devil went devil crazy in 1909 when nearly 1,000 reports came in from eyewitnesses throughout South Jersey and the Pine Barrens. That year, uh, a track walker uh, on the electric railroad saw the saw the devil fly into the wires above the tracks. There was a violent explosion which melted the track 20 feet in both directions. Nobody was found. The devil was seen later in perfect health. Yeah, either that happened or he did something really stupid and fucked the tracks of himself. And was terrified of getting fired if he worked for the training you know, company or, you know, getting sued if he didn't. And he made up the whole thing to save his ass. One of those things happened. Uh, while testing cannonballs at Hanover Mills Works in the Pine Barrens, Navy commander Stephen Decatur reportedly saw the creature and shot it. The cannonball blew a hole in the devil, but it wasn't phased by the projectile. Strange tracks were found in fields. 
but bloodhounds allegedly refused to follow the tracks. There was so much hysteria over the monster. Schools in the Pine Barrens were closed. Now, I should state here that this account only shows up in cryptozoology-type uh, websites. This encounter doesn't even men- get mentioned in Stephen's lengthy Wikipedia page, so probably never happened. But what if it did? I mean, can you imagine if you're that kid? You know, you're already living in some backwoods lifestyle where superstition is to be running rampant. Education level is low. You're dirt poor. Your parents are first cousins, piney first cousins who actually uh, breed, not just Albert Einstein first cousins who just cousin fuck for fun. And now your school is closed because there's a monster in the woods and the Navy is hunting, uh, the Navy is hunting, but it can't kill. I mean, holy shit, if that were real, a lot of terrified kids laying wide-eyed in the raggedy button-up long undies in their, in their cold, you know, scrap lumber shacks that night. A lot of piney parents, you know, put their banjos and harmonicas down, you know, sit down their moonshine jugs, put their hands on the shotguns. You know, sitting in there way out in the dark woods knowing the police are looking for an actual monster nearby, hearing all the strange sounds the forest makes at night. Is that a possum? Is that a raccoon walking across the porch? Or is that a monster about ready to smash through your front door and tear your family from limb to limb? Navy couldn't, can't kill it with a cannon. What chance do you have with your little twenty-two bolt-action rifle? You're probably lucky to have a twenty-two if you're a fucking piney. Probably got a slingshot with, you know, with a half-rotten rubber band for you to pull back on. Or, or did the, you know, what is that a deer that just stepped on a small branch and cracked it? Or is that the Jersey Devil snapping your dog in half? Oh man, you know, uh, Joseph Bonaparte, uh, ah, Bonaparte, the brother of Napoleon, one-time king of Spain, he claimed to see the devil. This claim actually does show up on uh, mainstream sites. Unsuccessful in defending Spain against England during the Peninsular Wars, he was forced to abdicate his throne in 1813. Following Napoleon's defeat, he went into exile in America. Uh, Joseph purchased 800 acres at Bordentown, New Jersey, because it was between the two great seaports in New York and Philadelphia, a place where he could obtain the very latest news from France and Spain. Builds himself a lovely mansion with the beautiful landscape grounds, plenty of parkland where he entertained uh, many of the great men of his day, such as President John Adams, you know the Mar- the Marquis uh, of Lafayette, Daniel Webster. He led a glamorous social life, throwing marvelous parties, with mountains of food, many guests. He also lived on the edge of the Pine Barrens. Dangerously close to some filthy pineys. And one day, a band of brother cousins and their wife's sister moms came a limping and a crawling and a scurrying up to his mansion. And they chanted their incantations and they beat on their tobacco can drums and they whooped and they yeehawed and they openly fornicated the Jersey Devil into existence. And the monster ate the former monarch, sharing his kill with his backwood revelers. And that is what the recipe for canned pork and beans is actually based on. Weezer was actually singing about the Jersey Devil. Fucking wake up, everybody. No. That is horse shit. That is complete nonsense. Uh, here's what's actually happened. Uh, one snowy afternoon, the ex-king of Spain was hunting alone in the woods near his house when he spotted some strange tracks on the ground. They looked like the tracks of a two-footed donkey. Uh, Bonaparte noticed that one foot was slightly larger than the other, obviously some kind of inbred piney donkey devil. Tracks ended abruptly as if the creature had flown away. He stared at the tracks for a long moment, trying to figure out what the strange animal might be. At that moment, Bonaparte heard a strange hissing noise. Turning, he found himself face-to-face with a large winged creature with a horse-like head and bird-like legs. Astonished and frightened, he froze and stared at the beast, forgetting that he was carrying a rifle. For a moment, neither of them moved. Then the creature hissed at him, beat its wings, and flew away. When he reported the incident to a friend later that day, Bonaparte was told that he had just seen the famous Jersey Devil. And I'm guessing his friend told everyone he knew that the former king of Spain was losing his fucking mind. Bonaparte was captivated by the story of the Jersey Devil. Thereafter, kept a lookout for the fabulous creature wherever uh, he went hunting. Once things settled down in Europe, uh, Joseph uh, said goodbye to the barons, reunited with his wife in Italy, and never saw the Jersey Devil again. 1927. 
taxi driver in Salem City allegedly encountered the Jersey Devil while changing a tire. The man told the police that a winged creature was pounding on the roof of the cab. Guess the Jersey Devil really needed a ride that night. 1957, the Department of Conservation found a strange corpse in a burned-out area of the pines. Partial skeleton, feathers, hind legs of an unidentifiable creature. The devil was thought to be dead, but when it reappeared, uh, it reappeared just when the pineys thought they were safe. Just, ha-ha, pineys, as if your lives are already hard enough with your malnourishment and your inbreeding and the constant socioeconomic judgment. Now a devil monster is back to eat your dirty, beady-eyed youngins. 1960, several residents of May's Landing heard horrifying screams in the night. There was no explanation for the noises. People began to panic. Police hung flyers assuring the residents that the Jersey Devil was a hoax. But a circus owner countered the appeal by offering a $100,000 reward for anyone who could capture a creature. All right, get a hold of that devil. Get your hundred grand. No one received the award. Then there's 1972, the Mary Reitzer Christensen encounter. She told Weird in New Jersey that she got the heebie-jeebies one night in 1972 when she spotted the uh, Jersey Devil on Green Tree Road. Christensen was driving from Blackwood to Glassboro when she says she saw a towering figure crossing the road about 25 feet behind her car. She described the figure as standing taller than the average man with thick haunches like a goat and huge woolly head. And then she went spent her rest of her life in a mental institution. No, I don't know. I added that last part. 1980, Wharton State Forest Chief Ranger Alan McFarlane. A man who normally, you know, knows his animals allegedly saw something that both grossed him out and stumped his wild animal knowledge. A brutal scene on a South Jersey farm where a pack of pigs had been killed. Uh, he reported that the backs of their heads were eaten and their bodies were scratched and torn. Uh, however, there were no tracks surrounding the bodies and no blood on the ground. Why the backs of the heads? Right? Is that the, tasty, is that the tastiest part of a pig? Have we been eating the wrong part all these years? Is, is pig back of head bacon the most delicious form of bacon? 1993, another forest ranger, John Irwin, was driving along the Mullica River when he saw a strange-looking creature blocking the road ahead of him. He said it was about six feet tall with horns and matted black fur. Uh, the two stared at each other for several minutes before the creature turned and ran into the forests. In 1977, another ranger, smooth jazz ranger Donald Fagan, couldn't give two shits about the Jersey Devil, but he did care enough about Steely Dan to recruit Michael motherfucking McDonald for some red-hot background vocals on Peg. Mm-hmm, check this shit out. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's a favorite foreign movie. You hear that angel in the background? Descended straight from heaven itself? To fucking tickle your eardrums? Yeah, that's a little Steely Dan McDonald. You didn't just get McDonald there, you got Steely Dan. What does that have to do with today's episode? Nothing, but it has everything to do with Time Suck. Anyway, 1981. A young couple spotted the devil at uh, Atchin Lake in Atlantic County, 1987, in Vineland. An aggressive German shepherd was found torn apart. His body was located 25 feet from the chain, which had been hooked to the dog. Uh, Around the body were strange tracks that no one could identify. Uh, but those stories are nothing compared to the original. The origin story is a whopper of a tale. So rich, so monstrous, so over the top, so best 10 minutes of a horror movie you're embarrassed to recommend to your friends. It's fantastic. Legend has it that in 1735, a Pines resident known as Mother Leeds found herself uh, pregnant for the 13th time. 13, the devil's number. Almost as bad as having 33 Mason kids. Or having 666 devil kids. Actually, if you have 666 kids, the devil is real, and you do have something to do with it. 
Uh, Mother Leeds was married to a piney drunk who made few efforts to provide for his wife and 12 children, reaching the point of absolute exasperation upon learning of her 13th child. Yeah, I bet. She raised her hands to the heavens and proclaimed, let this one be a devil. Well, Mother Leeds went into labor a few months later on a tumultuously stormy night, forgetting the curse she had uh, uttered previously regarding her unborn child, probably distracted by her 12 kids and her drunk deadbeat husband. If social media had been around, she would be ending a lot of tweets and Instagram posts, which is hashtag FML, just fuck my life. Pregnant with 12 kids, fire and chimney just burned out. Husband, too drunk to fix it, hashtag FML. Ninth kid just broke arm. We're two days wagons ride from a doctor. Don't have wagon, thanks to deadbeat piney husband, hashtag FML. Possum stew for dinner again tonight. Drunk husband not motivated enough to hunt deer. Fourth kid just pushed 11th kid off porch. Third dog just attacked, attacked fifth dog and killed it. Thirteenth baby has me stuck in bed. Hashtag FML. Her husband and, uh, and uh, you know, children huddled together in one room of their Leeds Point home while local midwives gathered to deliver the baby in another. The birth went routinely. The thirteenth Leeds child is seemingly normal baby boy. For a few minutes, all was well, as well as can be for a woman living on barren land with a drunk husband in 1735. After shooting a human out of her vagina for the thirteenth time with no anesthesia, and then uh, and then all Jersey piney hell broke loose. Within minutes, Mother Leeds' unholy wish of months before began to come to fruition. The baby started to change and metamorphosize right before her very eyes. Within moments, it transformed from a beautiful newborn baby into a hideous creature unlike anything the world had ever seen. The wailing infant began growing at an incredible rate. It sprouted horns from the top of its head, and talon-like claws tore through the tips of its fingers. Leathery, bat-like wings unfurled from its back. Hair and feathers sprouted all over the child monster's body. Its eyes began glowing bright red as they grew larger in the monster's gnarled and starling face. The creature savagely attacked its own mother, killing her, and then turned its attention to the rest of the horrified onlookers who witnessed its tempestuous transformation. It flew at them, clawing, biting, voicing unearthly shrieks the entire time. It tore the midwives limb from limb, maiming some, killing others. The monster then knocked down the door to the next room where its own father and siblings cowered in fear and attacked them all, killing as many as it could. But it couldn't kill them all, mostly because it had 12 siblings to mow down. That's a lot of murder, even for a Jersey Devil. Those who survived to tell the tale then watched in horror as the rotten beast sprinted to the chimney and flew up it, destroying it on the way and leaving a pile of rubble in its wake. Damn you, Jersey Devil! Did you really have to fuck up the chimney too? My God, was it not enough to kill most of your family? Then you, what, you gotta ruin the family chimney for the rest? You're, you're a real asshole, Devil. Mom dead, drunk dad, almost dead, most siblings dead. No fire, chimney destroyed. New little brother, real monster. Hashtag FML. Well, the creature then made good on its, uh, uh, or you know, made its escape into the darkness and desolation of the Pine Barrens, and it's lived there ever since. Uh, to this day, the creature, uh, known as the Leeds Devil, sometimes sometimes known as the Jersey Devil, claims the pines for its own, terrorizes any who are unfortunate enough to encounter it. So, as crazy as this Leeds story is, uh, the legend does appear to be based on a real family. Let's talk about the Leeds, okay? Uh, talk about the origin. Uh, the slow build of the of the Jersey Devil mythology, some have surmised that the real mother Leeds was Deborah Leeds, who, according to genealogical records, bore 12 children between 1704 and 1726. The 13th kid is not on record because it was a monster. Uh, Deborah's husband was uh, uh, Japheth, son of Daniel. Daniel had arrived in America from England in 1677, settled in Burlington, New Jersey. The association between the devil and the Leeds family seems to have started with Daniel, according to historian Brian Regal. 
1687, Daniel began publishing an almanac, which included the use of astrology, much to the consternation of his Quaker neighbors. Quakers at the time considered astrology to be ungodly, called Daniel Satan's harbinger. Uh, damn you, Daniel, publishing your devil numbers and your satanic crop predictions. 1716, Daniel retired and handed the almanac publishing business over to his son, Titan. 1728, Titan redesigned the masthead to include the family crest, three dragon-like creatures with clawed feet and bat-like wings. Okay. Uh, creatures that bore a striking resemblance to the Jersey Devil, so probably not the best choice, you know, in, the, in that time to uh, create a family crest that looks like a devil. In the mid-1700s, amid high anti-British sentiment, the Leeds family made easy marks, said Regal. They had sided with the hated Lord Cornbury. The first royal governor of New Jersey and were accused of somehow being in the occult. When the Revolutionary War started, the Leeds Devil stood as a symbol of political ridicule and scorn. Okay, so this sounds interesting. Let's deep dive into this whole Leeds origin story. Settlement of New Jersey began in the 1620s as a slow trickle of just a few hardy souls. Uh, Sir George uh, Carteret received the land between the Hudson and Delaware rivers as a grant from the British crown. As he hailed from the island of Jersey in the English Channel, an island long known for Sicilian mafia ties and Bon Jovi-esque hair metal bands, it became known as New, jo New Jersey. Kidding, of course, about uh, jo Jovi. Uh, the region was divided with the area bordering New York called East Jersey and the, and the half bordering Pennsylvania called West Jersey. Settlers to West Jersey came initially from Holland and Sweden, not until the 1660s. Large numbers arrived, predominantly from England, members of the recently created religious order of Society of Friends, more commonly called Quakers. Uh, Catholics, and particularly Anglicans, uh, also found their way to the region. In West Jersey, Quaker communities, farms, and meeting houses appeared from the Atlantic Ocean to Philadelphia. Burlington had its first meeting house built in 1683. In 1702, East Jersey and West Jersey merge into a single colony. Well, the first royal governor of New Jersey, Edward Hyde Lord Cornbury, simultaneously served as governor of New York through uh, 1708. Now, Cornbury is remembered as one of the most vilified and hated governors in colonial America. Uh, a portrait widely believed to be Cornbury hangs in the New York uh, Historical Society, shows him dressed as uh, his aunt, Queen Anne. Uh, historians feel his political and religious rivals slandered him by spreading tales of him cross-dressing as activity uh, – you know, that was an activity far from morally acceptable in colonial America – uh, historical documents uh, reveal letters written by Quaker opponents of Cornbury accusing him of wearing women's clothes between 1707 and 1709. As Cornbury was generally and widely disliked, the accusations were ex accepted widely by the general uh, public. Well, when Lord Cornbury uh, received his orders to take charge of New Jersey, one of his original counselors – here we get back to the, the devil – is Daniel Leeds, one of these Leeds family. Well, Daniel Leeds hailed from Stansted, Essex, England. He, he followed his father Thomas and his brothers to the New World towards the end of the 1670s, landed in Burlington. About 25 years old, devout Quaker, Daniel Leeds claimed he uh, had ecstatic visions from the Lord as a young man. His first wife passed you know, while still in England, so he married a second time in 1681. His new American wife, Anne Stacy, died in Burlington giving birth to a daughter named Anne. Uh, who did not survive long after the birth. He married a third time to Dorothy Young, who also passed, though not before producing eight children by 1699. And then he married a final time to Jane Revel Abbott Smout. Uh, uh, some variants on the story of the Leeds Devil reference the name of the mother of the Jersey Devil as Jane, though it is unclear if Jane Leeds produced any actual children. There's no contemporary sources referring to any of his wives as Mother Leeds. However, her name could have been mixed up with the name of the 12-child uh, having daughter-in-law we, we mentioned earlier. In 1682, Daniel Leeds becomes a uh, member of a local assembly. He, he, he rises to the position of surveyor general. 
This position carries influence as, as land ownership disputes and boundary issues come up uh, in the wilds of the New World a lot. As a symbol of his prosperity and religious conviction, he, he contributes a subscription of four pounds to build the first Burlington Quaker meeting house just off of High Street. In the 1690s, he surveys and acquires land in the Great Egg Harbor on the Atlantic coast, eventually handing it down to his eldest son as a family seat, which became known as Leeds Point, the area most strongly associated with the Jersey Devil. Now, running through the story of the Jersey Devil is the story of the Quakers. When Daniel Leeds arrived in Burlington, Quakerism had been in its existence barely longer than he had. Uh, born of the upheavals of the English Civil Wars in 1647, a group of dissenters formed a new sect they called the Society of Friends. Because they claimed to shake with the inner light of the Lord, the name Quakers became popular. Uh, they believed an individual did not have to have a priest or a clergyman or other official between them and God. Uh, the connection with the divine came through a relationship with Jesus. Their rejection of organized authority brought them into conflict uh, with the forces of law and order. Persecutions from without, wrangling from within, pushed the uh, originally decentrali uh, decentralized Quakers to form a more rigid and disciplined internal structure. Persecutions also drove them to seek relief in the New World, to which they uh, traveled in great numbers. In the 1650s, the Puritans ejected the newly arrived Quakers out of Massachusetts, so they headed to Pennsylvania and the Jerseys, uh, where they found an easier time. Now, we talked about how well the Puritans and Quakers got along in one of my favorite time sucks, bonus episode 9, the Salem Witch Trials. So publicly and officially, Quaker doctrine renounced witchcraft and the occult as foolishness. But privately, many Quakers enjoyed and were titillated by ghost stories, fascinated by the supposed behavior of witches. They rejected it but not, did not persecute it the way the Puritans did. When witch trials broke out in Massachusetts in 1692, the Quakers were not involved. Uh, they actually barely escaped uh, you know, getting hanged themselves, if you'll recall from that uh, – again, that Salem witch trial uh, sucks. You know, They were about to be hanged for just promoting their theology in Puritan territory. Well, along with farming and surveying, Daniel Leeds inspires uh, or aspires to more intellectual and metaphysical activity. He begins publishing an almanac in 1687 titled An Almanac. You know, I guess I uh, kept it, keep it simple. Uh, referred to himself as a student in agriculture, popular in New England by the mid 1600s. Almanacs appeared in the Middle Age, or excuse me, in the Middle, middle Atlantic region by 1682, and, and Leeds actually created the first one in New Jersey. They were they were a big deal back then. They didn't have a lot of books to choose from. Didn't have a lot of magazines at the newsstand. Almanac, were, that's, that was pretty much your only option. Well, reading almanacs supplied farmers with agricultural news, forecasts of weather, meteorological information, homespun wisdom, maybe throwing a joke or two, you know, a little bit of everything in the rural and agrarian culture of New Jersey and Pennsylvania where, you know, few books were printed or available. Almanacs proved useful, entertaining, and popular. And Leeds initially went with a single-page broadside for his publication, later to the more traditional almanac model of a multi-page pamphlet. You know, it included title information based on Philadelphia, setting and rising of the sun and moon, movements of other heavenly bodies. Also included inspirational words, you know, like no man is born unto himself and who, you know, who lives unto himself lives alone. Well, Leeds agricultural, seemingly innocuous astrological data did not please all of his readers. Not long after its appearance, several members of the Quaker Burlington Monthly Meeting complained that he used inappropriate language. And that the astrological symbols for names of days and months were a little too pagan for their taste. Uh, technique common to almanacs leads made connections between star signs and various human body parts, Aries for, you know, for the head and face. He eventually included astrological medical advice as well. And, uh, and again, you know, this, this pissed off the Quakers. An order was sent out to collect of all the copies of the Leeds Almanac, non-circulation, and destroy them. Burn that devil print. At the next Quaker meeting, Leeds publicly apologized for having given offense privately had no intention of canceling his almanac. 
you know, it just kind of, uh, you know, pissed him off uh, against uh, some of the Quakers. Well, the year after he publishes his first almanac, Leeds puts together a book called The Temple of Wisdom for the Little World. The Temple of Wisdom is an unconventional uh, a book uh, for a colonial Quaker to, to produce. It was a compilation of theology and also of budding scientific revolution knowledge. Rather than a completely original text, he had paraphrased and outright kind of copied large sections from other authors, including Francis Bacon, to put together this kind of personal you know, cosmology. He included sections on angels, natural magic, astrology, theology, philosophy, the behavior of devils. The behavior of devils was a section. I love how ridiculous these assholes were. What are you working on, Father? Uh, just writing a new chapter on how devils behave, my dear boy. And how do devils behave, Father? Well, they, they, they bother their father while he's working and, and while they should be in bed for one thing. Now get to sleep, young devil. Uh, along with Bacon, the other source uh, Leeds used extensively was the work of German pietist, pietist, I guess, pietist, mystic Jacob Bohm. From a humble background, Bohm taught himself to be a philo- philosophical theologian, claimed to have ecstatic visions of the mystical aspects of the universe. Well, Bohm's writings focus on the nature of sin and redemption. He argued that the fall of man needed to occur for him to gain entry to heaven. He saw a correspondence between zodiac signs and human conditions as love and sweetness. You know, in his writings, he argued that the mainstream Lutherism, uh, Lutheranism of its of that day, had lost its way, become dull and lifeless. You know, had abandoned you know their proper zeal, strict behavior, and direct Bible study and emotion Christianity demanded. And uh, and Leeds saw this guy as a kindred spirit, one who, like himself, had experienced, experienced ecstatic visions, been called before righteous authorities for his work, and who rebelled against the local establishment. So, defending himself in his astrological work using Bohm's words he says everyone that will speak of teach or teach excuse me everyone that will speak or teach of divine mysteries that we have the spirit of god well the published work of daniel leeds showed him to be simultaneously a christian occultist and purveyor of the scientific revolution revolution excuse me he was, he was not a dark magician you know but he, you know he saw himself as a shepherd leading his flock to the light there's no evidence that he ever engaged in attempts to manipulate extraterrestrial or magical processes but for uh, you know, Leeds and other almanac compilers, astrology was not only dubious, uh, fringe activity, uh, it was actually a Christian technique for gaining deeper insight into the divine. This is how he saw it. Well, the Quakers did not see this uh, the same way, and they immediately suppressed his work. The Quaker Burlington meeting exerted growing power and control over Quaker life in the region during this period, and they were able to rally support to crush Leeds' book. They demanded and obtained general conformity of their members. The suppression was so complete, only one known copy of the Temple of Wisdom is, uh, you know, exists today. Leeds felt betrayed. Uh, his intention with both the Almanac and the Temple of Wisdom centered on bringing philosophy, theology, and science to his New Jersey neighbors. And this re- rejection and destruction, you know, wounded him. He's brokenhearted by the religion he fully embraced, and now he turns upon the Quakers. And this is when the devil mythology starts to build. So now he's, you know, he's a man who considers himself righteous. And the correct type of, you know, religious type of person, and he, he's pissed off about how the Quakers have, have vilified him. He seeks influence through local politics, and that's how he gets on the side of pro-British governor Lord Cornbury, you know, who's uh, also anti-Quaker, also not well-liked. And his role as counselor for Cornbury gets uh, appointed that position. Leeds advises his new governor to not swear in several Quaker members, and, uh, you know, just a little bit of payback there. Just, you know, how you like me now, Quakers? Well, the rest of the assembly complains to Cornberry about these groundless accusations against them. You know, leads to talking shit about them to no avail. Cornberry alienated the West Jersey assembly and its Quaker population through arbitrary practices by being inconsiderate, listening to false accusations against its members, you know, not spending much time in the colony of which he was governor, just that British bastard. Well, the Quakers saw the Anglican governor Cornberry as a local tyrant. You know, he represented a larger empire who sought to keep them under control and who opposed their religion as heretical. 
You know, you don't you don't think we have the best ideas? Do you, God, if not, well then fuck off. They didn't say that, but it'd be cool if they did. Uh, when Daniel Leeds is one of their own, sided with Cornberry and the establishment, you know, that now they see him as a traitor, and he's done. He's he's part of the problem. You know, adding insult to injury, uh, Leeds showed loyalty to his uh, to the sovereign, you know, his sovereign queen, who they were not in uh, favor of with little Diddy ending uh, the 1713 edition of his almanac, saying, God save Queen Anne, her foes destroy, and all that do her realms annoy. Well, all right, so Leeds, Leeds backs anti-Quaker um, proponents, uh, such as George Keith, an early member of the Society of Friends, George Keith, uh, new founder George Fox, William Penn, original Jersey proprietor Robert Barclay. Keith came to New Jersey in 1685, became a surveyor, took his place as the leader of the Quaker community. He did the survey which separated East from West Jersey, founded the town of Freehold. So he's making all these friends. He's making all these friends on the Anglican side of things. And he's, you know, and, and these are also people who piss off the Quakers, and he's taking their side. And it just, you know, just deepens the rift between, you know, between Leeds and the Quakers. Well, the Burlington Meeting of Friends, they're growing increasingly upset over what Leeds is doing. In this uh, 1698 meeting, they refer to him as evil for his publications and other unseemly, unseemly behavior. At odds with the Friends, Leeds produces an outright anti-Quaker book in 1699. The trumpet sounded out of the wilderness of America. He deconstructs Quakerism. I, I read you an expert, excerpt, but it is terribly boring. Uh, Leeds argues that Quaker theology denies the divinity of Jesus. You know, he accuses the Quakers of being anti-monarchists. A defensive Quakerism appears and Satan's harbinger encountered being something by way of answer to Daniel Leeds. Oh, the titles back then. This is another pamphlet, you know, in 1700. Now he's now he's, Leeds is publicly accused of either working for or actually being the devil, some sort of devil. You know, this is, a, this is not a new type of accu- accusation back then. Political mudslinging was alive and well in colonial America. You know, you think the past few elections were bad back then. They would just openly declare their opponent to be like a devil or to somebody working with the devil. And actually, uh, that kind of thing went back into the Middle Ages. You know, they'd have images and everything, just, you know, depictions. They would just, you know, illustrations of their opponent looking like a devil. Uh, illustrations that looked a lot like the Jersey Devil ends up looking like. Uh, the early modern era and the introduction of woodblock printing, you know, sees the devil rendered in humorous ways as a tactic to deflate and lampoon evil. There's images of a creature with hooves for feet, claws for hands, leathery wings, pointy tail. You know, that was a, a robust tradition. It wasn't just the Jersey Devil. Uh, went back and with political satire into Europe. Early example of that is the life and character of a strange he-monster published in 1726 in which a political rival is called the scabby offspring of a scotch moggy by a scratching peddler. Or uh, out of Boston uh, came the monster of monsters in 1754. It was over a local alcohol tax. The tax, the author notes – uh, stands as the most hideous form and terrible aspect such as one has ever seen in America. Unscrupulous land grabs following the revolution resulted in the deformity of a hideous monster discovered in the province of Maine. All right, so they're thinking like these, uh, you know, monsters are popping up because of people's evil. Colonial New Jersey brimmed uh, with all kinds of stories about devils and monsters and political rivals, you know, being in bed with them. Scandals, backstabbing, you know, is occurring in print all over the place. And Daniel Leeds was right in the thick of all of that. So then we have this, you know, we have these kind of pamphlet wars now between Leeds and the Quakers. It's like the 18th century equivalent of Twitter. You know, he's a uh, Quaker is trying to bring me down again. Lost another wife this this afternoon. So sick of venison. Hashtag FML. Well, Leeds opposer uh, comes in the form of uh, Caleb Pusey, a friend of William Penn. Caleb Pusey came to Pennsylvania in 1700. He opened a mill, entered local politics, became a member of the provincial Supreme Court. Member of the Executive Council, all kind of fancy doodah, uh, you know, fancy titles. He attacks Daniel Leeds uh, for supporting people, you know, that he wasn't in support of. 
and uh, and they go back and forth with pamphlets, you know, accusing each other of this and that. And Leeds is accused in print of being Satan's harbinger again. A lot of Satan accusations with Leeds. Leeds responds with a challenge to Caleb Pusey and to check his lies and forgeries. You know, it's, he accuses him of, uh, you know, uh, cohabitating with prostitutes and all kinds of – just all this kinds of mudslinging. You know, he, he refers to the Quakers as spiritual and carnal whoredoms and, and adulteries. Or spirit, uh, he, he talks about that going on with the Quakers, you know. It's getting, it's getting dirty. Uh, charges them with adultery, fathering children out of wedlock, cheating tradesmen, other insidious crimes. And it just goes back and forth, back and forth. And then Daniel Leeds, con- he's continuing to publish his almanac where he has all these spiteful words about the Quakers. And he does that until 1714 when he retires from public life and then turns the business over to his son Titan. Uh, and Titan shows an aptitude for you know math, science, astronomy. He takes over the almanac. You know, he goes for it, and he finds out that the Leeds family still has enemies. You know, the term devil is still associated with them. And he gets into a little back and forth with Benjamin Franklin, of all people. Uh, he's, Benjamin Franklin was an up-and-coming Philadelphia printer, scientist, statesman, soon-to-be founding father. He entered the Almanac game in 1732 with poor Richard's Almanac. Riding under the name Richard Saunders, he took the name uh, from a popular London Almanac. You know, he starts uh, getting into the lucrative Almanac game. And, uh, and he starts going back and forth with his Titan lead, just like a rap battle, but, you know, way less entertaining. In the 1733 edition of the Poor Richard's Almanac, Franklin, writing as Saunders, uses astrological techniques to predict Titan Lead's death on October 17th of that year. And, you know, and uh, sarcastically refers to Leeds as his good friend and fellow student of astrology. Pisses Leeds off, you know, Leeds talks some shit about Franklin. You know, he's a fool and a liar. Franklin, you know, replies that uh, sarcastically the Leeds must be too well-bred to use any, you know, man so indecently and so scurriously. You know, this must not be the real Titan Leeds, but a manifestation from the spirit world. So he goes back into this, you know, kind of uh, dark, uh, you know, supernatural association between a Leeds family member and the devil. And then uh, even after Leeds dies, uh, Franklin, in 1738, Franklin fakes a letter uh, from Leeds, puts in his almanac, you know, written by supposedly by Leeds in the afterlife, which, which further associates the Leeds family with kind of weird demonic type stuff. Uh, Franklin was a real asshole uh, to Leeds. And, and, and but you know and, you know in the end uh, his ploy worked you know people remember uh, poor Richard's almanac he talked better shit and his almanac flourished and is remembered and the Leeds almanac is you know completely gone and uh, the traditionally believed period of the birth of the Jersey Devil does coincide roughly with the death of Titan Leeds as well as you know the time of the Franklin Leeds almanac war so coincidence maybe maybe not. All right, so there's so there's all this stuff going on. Uh, so you know, starting as the Leeds Devil, the the elements that came together to form the Jersey Devil mythos percolated and fermented over the next century in the culture of the Pine Barrens. You had this, you know, devil associations with Daniel, and then with Titan, and then you know this back these pamphlets being thrown around, and then you have all that happening in this Pine Barrens area where where people are not the most literate and the most educated, and you know, and superstitions start going and. You know, people are telling their telling their kids that the, there's a Jersey Devil, and you know, becomes this weird kind of old wives' tale. Is what uh, some historians think happened. Is how this stuff, you know, uh, got going. And then, you know, years later, you know, starting like you know, in certain newspaper articles, like 1905. Uh, now the Leeds family, the history of the real Leeds family is reduced to just like Captain Leeds and his occult leaning wife, Mother Leeds, and, and the actual history of that family just gets further and further diminished. And uh, their name just becomes associated with this crazy devil story. And then uh, in 1909, this guy Charles A. Brandenburg, the owner of the Ninth and Art Street Dime Museum in Philadelphia, and his press agent Norman Jeffries, they see an opportunity to cash in on uh, suddenly some uh, some monster footprint sightings that happened in 1909. And they're you know they're eager for any outlandish scheme to kind of bring paying customers into their museum. 
And uh, they begin to plant stories around the area about the Leeds Devil and its sinister behavior in local newspapers, just, you know, lies, paying other people to lie. These early, you know, January 1909 press releases are read by an eager public already interested in these reports of these snowy footprints that maybe they even did, or maybe they're doing more of them. Who knows? And the newspaper accounts, you know, the, the Jersey Devil is, is a product of media rather than uh, folklore at this point, you know, begins really birthing the mythology of this monster. The Trenton Evening News exclaimed on its front page that the Leeds, the Leeds Devil has the Jersey people frightened. And the scheme has the desired effect. Attendance at that guy's museum just grows. The New York Tribune declares if anybody doubted the stories of the tracks of the snow, they have now been confirmed. So now you get legitimate, you know, uh, you know, media places confirming this complete nonsense. And now this thing is firmly, you know, implanted in the collective memory of the Pine Barrens. Isn't that isn't that fascinating? Like a slight in a, in a publication here, an association there, more similar slights and slanders a generation later, all beating the same drum. It reminds me of Pizzagate. You just keep beating the same drum. In this case, it's that the Leeds family are anti-Quaker devils, and you just kind of beat it into the collective consciousness of an area. You know, and, and the stigma sticks for generations. And then some carnival barker type promoter, you know, really beats the lead devil uh, drum in 1909, pushing up attendance into his museum of curiosities. And that firmly cements the legend in the minds of the public for over a century and counting. Now, I, I have no proof that this is how the Jersey Devil legend came to be, but it does feel right to me, right? I do get how this kind of mythology can grow. I think we all could think of like similar examples in in uh, in our own kind of little worlds. Like there, like there was a family where I grew up, the Damons, and they have a reputation where I grew up of being a family of delinquents. Partly earned for sure, for sure. You know, they have uh, some felons in the family. They have some perfectly able-bodied men and women who seem all too content to just kind of live off public assistance. However, there have also been some wonderful family members, star athletes, amazing students, wonderful people. But the overall reputation for this one family, going at least as far back as my great-grandparents and possibly further, you know, right or wrong, is that they're a bunch of ne'er-do-wells. You know, the name Damon, where I grew up, does not have a positive association uh, stuck with it in, in most people's minds. You know, if you were to tell somebody that some Damon got into this trouble or that trouble, you know, most of the time there would just be this general reaction of like, well, you know, that figures. You know, there's rumors about me. There was rumors in high school that I was uh, gay. The only gay thing I did was not have girlfriends. I was awkward. I was not good with girls. I didn't have any balls. I had low self-esteem, zero confidence, you know, with women. You know, I would have loved to have been a hit with ladies, but it wasn't the case. Oh, and I didn't get shit-faced out in the woods with guys from high school on the weekends. And I didn't do that because I had a crazy stepmom who was constantly grounding me, and I just didn't want to. But the, the, this combination of me not doing the typical bro shit of the area, you know, getting fucked up on a Saturday night and talking about girls and also not having a girlfriend was enough for, uh, you know, a fair amount of people just to think that I was gay for sure. And if I suddenly announced myself as gay today, you know, like if I left my wife and just shacked up with a dude, there would be a certain segment of the population where I grew up who would think for sure just, I ah, fuck it, I knew it. I fucking knew it. Well, with the leads – Starting with Daniel, it was this imagery of smearing your political rival, you know, by ascribing them as some kind of devilish beast, same kind of beast that showed up in pamphlets about other people. You know, unfortunately, they also had that for their family crest, you know, and it's, uh, it's, it's in people's minds. It's been in people's minds for generations, this imagery, you know, people, recent immigrants from Europe who had seen it over there. And you just keep adding this devilish association, this one family, and pretty soon it sticks, you know. And then for, you know, a lot of people, a lot of Quaker families and friends of Quaker families, you know, they hear leads and they're like, oh, yeah, the, the devils, right? Aren't they are they're the fucking devils, right? Didn't that one guy have a devil baby or something? I mean it's just like – it's like becomes real for people. And then you get these kind of backwood 18th and 19th century pineys, you know, which, you know, by all accounts I read, you know, barely literate, very superstitious kind of hill folk. And then now they're repeating these half-baked memories of uh, devils, and pretty soon all the original political meaning is lost. 
And it's just a term remaining, just a Leeds devil in a, in a picture in people's minds. Just a picture from those old, you know, campaigns, the picture from that old family crest, just, you know, hooves and bat wings and horns and fangs. And, and now it's a fucking real monster. Now it's a campfire tale told by imaginative fathers to scare their kids, you know, keep them from misbehaving. Just go to, go to bed before the Leeds devil gets you. And then people start seeing what they want to see. They start seeing a real monster. And the museum owner starts, you know, making hoof prints in the snow. I bet he fucking started that. Working up some public hysteria, getting people to buy some tickets to a shitty curiosity museum. You know, and then one, once one person convinces the community that they've seen something, everyone starts seeing it. It's like in that bonus episode, two of Time Suck, the alien extravaganza episode. Right after 1947, when amateur pilot uh, Kenneth Arnold claimed he saw nine crescent-shaped objects in the sky, UFOs, flying near Mount Rainier in Washington, then his story gets published, all of a sudden, everybody starts seeing UFOs. Right? Now, did an unusual amount of UFOs come to Earth in 1947? Maybe, or maybe a lot of people's imaginations suddenly got the best of them, right? Uh, I haven't noticed any weird shadows at night in the past few weeks, but after I did the Shadow People episode, I saw a bunch of fucking creepy shadow people in my head. You know, I thought for sure one night I saw a pair of red eyes in the basement. 99% sure those are lights from my TV. And now that I'm thinking about shadow people again, I'm probably going to see those fucking eyes again. Probably going to scare myself. Imaginations are powerful, powerful, powerful things. But that's just what I think about the Jersey Devil and what I think is not always uh, entertaining or fun. But you know what is always entertaining and fun? What the idiots of the internet think. Idiots of the internet. Here's a typical Jersey Devil post I found under a weirdnewjersey.com article on the Jersey Devil. This is from Denise. It's like a Facebook user, Denise08611. Denise says, this is a true story, and the New Jersey State Police were even involved with this matter. It was the summer of 2009. My ex and I went out to the Pine Barrens in the middle of the night to fire a newly purchased gun. We got there about 2 a.m., and right about 3 a.m., we started to hear loud, screeching noises, more or less like a hawk, but a lot louder. We decided to leave and head home. Something just didn't feel right. I had that strange feeling in the pit of my stomach. As soon as we started to head back to my car, we then heard a loud flapping noise. The treetops were swaying back and forth, but there was no wind. Now I am really scared. We got back to the car to head home, and I realized that my cell phone was not where I left it, on the middle handrest. Well, we looked and looked and looked. I knew I left my phone there, as I always do. I thought it might have fell off my lap into the ground, so we proceeded to look around the outside of the car. Nothing there. As I was standing on the driver's side of the car with the door open, and he was on the passenger side doing the same, all of a sudden... My cell phone came flying past my face like a bullet from behind, smashed into the roof of my car, slid across to my ex on the passenger side. We both looked at each other, started to scream, and jumped into the car. At the time, I had a Chrysler 300M, and we all know I really had no business driving that car through the woods, but I put the car into drive. And I flew down the path at 50 to 70 miles per hour. My car was bouncing all around. I didn't care. All I know is I wanted to get away from whatever was out there as fast as I could. I am going to admit I have never been more scared in my life. I literally peed my pants. We were both crying, screaming, and confused. I had to stop the car because I actually couldn't breathe. I was in full panic mode. We decided to pull over and switch seats so he can drive. As we stopped the car and switched seats, we hear the loud flapping and screeching again. But this time it was right about us. I'm guessing above us. We heard birds chirping loudly as if they were warning the other birds of something. We finally got onto the 206 and we couldn't drive any faster. We were driving so fast that the state police pulled us over. We were in such a panic that the police thought my ex was trying to kidnap me or something. We explained to them what had happened. What we heard and saw, we showed the officer my cell phone that was smashed to pieces. The officer said that looks as if the phone had hit me in the head. I probably would have been knocked unconscious. 
The officer shared almost the same story with us as far as the screeching and flapping noise and the uneasy feeling. I grew up in Clementon. All I know, the Pine Barrens, uh, all I all I knew, the Pine, the pine Barrens. She's trying to say I, I know the Pine Barrens like the back of my hand. I've been there numerous times and have never experienced anything like I did that night. I will never, ever return to the Pine Barrens again. All right. Well, I looked up uh, Denise's Facebook profile and uh, no Facebook account anymore. Nope. Uh, no longer have a Facebook account. Guessing they are probably still full of shit. What? I, I love it when people are like, this is a true story. You can coordinate it you know, or corroborate it with the New Jersey Police Department. And then, and then just, you know, no officer name, no department name, no date, no info of their own to contact them and get any further info. Just nada. You know, it's a true story, guys. You don't just take my word for it. This guy, George, was also there. Look him up if you don't believe me. He's on the internet. Name of George. Probably a dude. Last name starts with a letter. You should be easy to find. And why in the hell were you going to shoot a new gun at 2 in the morning? That is not a common time for target practice, unless you're on meth. I'm guessing it probably sounds like a perfectly reasonable thing to do. Just fuck, man. We've already drank our, our beer. We've got a last call. We're already done with that one. Do you want to go back to my place? I got more beer. I got more meth. We can shoot my new gun. Oh, man. I like the first two parts of that plan. How about this, though? How about we grab some beers, we grab some meth, and then we take your gun into the woods to shoot it so we don't get the police involved. Fuck yeah, Daryl. You are a goddamn genius. Well, despite, uh, you know, this uh, this good setup being out the Pine Barrens around, you know, 3 in the morning with the gun, uh, your story sucks, Denise. What? You hear birds chirping? It gets windy? Whoever you're with, I think what, what happened is whoever you were with threw their phone at you and then didn't want to fess up to it. And then they broke it. And you, you guys were fucking high on something. Or you, probably, or you just made up the whole thing. <laughs> like, why? how, if you're speeding, talking about this fucking crazy monster possibility out in the woods where you were shooting your gun at <laughs> 3 in the morning, how did you not go to jail when you get pulled over? How do you not go to jail for a DUI or something? I don't know. Next story. So much Jersey Devil stuff is like that. No actual creature spotted. No real encounter of any kind. Just someone with, you know, bullshit and they're getting spooked in the woods and blaming the feeling of being spooked on a name they've heard. The Jersey Devil. Wonder a YouTube video called Does the Jersey Devil Really Exist? I, I found the following comment and I, and I, uh, I, I like where it led me. User IAA015 states, search for Jersey Devil thermal footage. It's actually very interesting, as you can see, wings also radiating heat as a regular mammal. Not sure why that's interesting, but okay. User uh, IAA015, I did as you instructed. I searched for thermal footage. I googled Jersey Devil thermal footage and made it to a Jersey Devil article on ghosttheory.com. You know, totally legit website. The article is titled Paranormal States Jersey Devil, Deer, Devil, or Hoax. And it features alleged thermal imaging photos of what appears to be a, uh, a picture of a children's toy. Something about the same size and shape of a My Little Pony figurine and uh, about as scary as a My Little Pony doll. It's a, it's a filtered version of a pic I've seen many times before on the web. There is a shitty Jersey Devil pic that keeps popping up on the web. It, it's from this alleged sighting video that even made its way into ABC News. This dude named David Black, uh, who appears to be 100% wackadoodle. Uh, claims that in 2015, on the way home from work, driving through the Pine Barrens around 6 p.m., he saw what he first thought was a llama, and then the creature sprouted wings and just flew over the road. And he has a picture capturing it in mid-flight, and it's fucking terrible. It's like it's laughably terrible. It looks like a, a, a My Little Pony that he altered a bit. The, he then glued it to his windshield and took a shitty photo of it. 
But it has become the Jersey Devil equivalent of that fuzzy Patterson-Gimlin photo of Bigfoot we've all seen of that thing, you know, with the one arm in front and one arm behind, you know, walking through the California woods. Well, in the comments below this article, an article that comes to no real conclusions about anything, there is idiot gold and some witty hilarity as well. Facebook user M81 shits on all the cryptic, uh, cryptic speculative fun, posting, I have two unicorns, a Pegasus and a Jersey Devil living with me. They are my pets. I love this mostly because it feels like something I would also write. Uh, well played, you sarcastic asshole. Facebook user The Survivor is one of my favorite types uh, of idiot internet, The Truth Demander. They post, why hasn't this story been turned into an actual documentary and showed to people? I think we deserve to see the truth. I love that. As if the government has some vested interest in hiding the real truth of the Jersey Devil for us. Right? Like, like, like there's finally going to be a press conference. All right, everybody. Okay, everybody. Uh, jigs up. Jersey Devil's real. Uh, we didn't want to scare the public, so we've been hiding the truth. There is a horned, llama-like, bat-winged demon on the loose in the Pine Barrens of Jersey, and there has been for over 200 years, at least. Uh, we can't catch it. We can't stop it. It's a real murderous asshole. So, you know, uh, careful hiking and whatnot. Okay. In other news, uh, the new corporate tax reduction is now effective, and we're proud to announce it. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? There's no reason to hide it. Uh, and then there's another one of my favorite internet archetypes, the cocky idiot who thinks they are a highfalutin intellectual. User Einstein underscore incarnate. That is like the cockiest username ever. Posts, some of you guys are blindingly dumb. Let me school you. Only 4% of the world's rainforests have been explored. 4%. That's roughly the size of America minus Alaska. That's like exploring Rhode Island when something only lives in California and claiming it proven fake. Better yet... Less than 1% of the world's oceans have been explored. That's equal to walking down Main Street in small-town Iowa and saying hippos don't exist. Feel free to apply that alien life. Statistics would prove that more than 50% of you believe in God. (laughs) Ha ha! Good luck proving that. All right, first off, Einstein, uh, he who made love to his first cousin, pass it on. First off, why, why do you have to be a dick about religion at the end? What does that have to do with anything else you were talking about? You seem to be building a case to believe in the paranormal based on a lot of the world not being explored. You seem to be building a case that we should logically believe in things we have not seen, such as, you know, cryptoids or cryptids and aliens, you know, because there is uh, so much we haven't explored, right? That's, that's, that's what you're trying to do with your flawed statistical argument. But then you, you just randomly slam faith with, with faith, yeah, faith, excuse me, which doesn't really flow with your argument. You know, I, I think what you're trying to say is, is that if you are open to believing in God, something you can't scientifically prove, which a lot of people do believe in, you should also be open to believing in, in cryptids. You know, because just like we haven't explored every realm and dimension of you know space, time, and the universe where God may be, we haven't explored every inch of the earth where cryptids may be. All right, you know, fair enough. Uh, but, but if you're going to open with a rant of let me school you, then you've got to come correct with a better argument and, and proper logic. Right, now let's get into those stats you build your case with. Thanks for, for, for ah, thanks for providing no sources for all of your specific numbers. You claim we've explored uh, less than one percent of the world's oceans. Not true. According to the National o- Ocean Service, a branch of the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, according to scientists paid to study the ocean, almost five percent of the world's oceans have been explored. So while we still have a lot to explore, you you were off by over five times in your you know. Kind of cocky analysis. Uh, and what about, you know, your only 4% of the world's rainforest have been explored claim? I'm 100% sure you pulled that out of your ass. 
because there is no conclusive statistic regarding rainforest exploration, not for the whole world. Oh, and according to the latest uh, Gallup poll from 2016, 89% of people believe in God, which a genius like you should know is a much bigger number than you know roughly 50%. And according to a 2002 global religious landscape analysis of more than 2,500 censuses, surveys, population, registers quoted in the Washington Times, 84% of the world's population believes in God. Still, much bigger number than 50%. You seem to be at least 34% off in your argument. I doubt Einstein was ever more than a third off in any mathematical argument he ever had. Turns out uh, you are blindingly uh, dumb there, Einstein incarnate. Uh, do you even know what incarnate means? It's deity or spirit embodied in the flesh. If Einstein had taken over your body, you'd be way, way better at statistics. Statistics being 100% relying on numbers. Einstein being 100% super duper good at numbers. 100% of his entire life. So Einstein underscore incarnate, uh, an arrogant dum-dum. Pass it on. And then uh, under the same article, user uh, Sifoni Fechwani posts my favorite comment of today with, I'm not saying it's real or anything, but it could have been a Pegasus. I, fuck, I fucking love this so much. Hey, guys, I'm not going to say that this creature is real or not, but I do think rationally we, we should consider the very real possibility that it is a Pegasus. All right. I mean, I look, I get it. You know, Jersey Devil may not be real. Uh, good chance, though, it's an ancient Greek mythological winged stallion. Just a food for thought. Now, if you'll excuse me, I am late for an important lunch meeting with Einstein Incarnate. We are finalizing the details on our GoFundMe uh, campaign to raise money to open a think tank. Okay. I think that is quite enough, uh, idiots of the internet, for today. Idiots of the internet. Okay, you guys. So that's about it for the Jersey Devil. Uh, quick note, just a random aside. Uh, the notes that are attached to these episodes uh, are, are on the app, like today's notes. Tons of typos. I, I just want you to know that I am aware of those. I'm going to emails. I have to fucking crank these things out so fast. I am typing as fast as I can possibly type. And it's just for all, – all it was for is for my notes, just for me to look through it. And then kind of just uh, because you guys wanted to, I decided to – or wanted them, some of you uh, – you know, just for transparency and stuff. Also, I wanted to put the notes on there, but I make no claims that these are like well-written documents. Uh, yeah, th- it doesn't make sense for me to kind of go back and like you know really scrutinize and get them all kind of perfect because they were never intended to be produced as like a written document. I just wanted to say that because now that they're on, I keep forgetting to say that. But anyway, uh, back to Jersey Devil. Gotta say, it feels like 100% nonsense. Unlike Mothman or Bigfoot, uh, no one can even agree on how it looks. You know, to me, it just seems to be a legend where political rivalry and stories of devil accusations were filtered through over 100 years of superstitious piney culture. And then a Curiosity Museum operator really stoked the flames big time, probably planted some fake hoof prints, tried to sell some tickets, and now we got a legend. You know, either that or evil incarnate lives in the woods of Jersey. Who knows? It's not like I've hiked around looking for the monster. I have been to Jersey several times, and it is a pretty strange place, you know, uh, here and there. Uh, anyway, time for some top five takeaways. Time suck. Top five takeaways. Number one, the Jersey Devil may uh, not be real, but it does have one hell of an origin tale. The 13th baby of Mother Leeds metamorphosing into some demonic monster with bat wings, horns, talons, eating its own mother. New baby growing up fast, just sprouted bat wings, horns, looking at me now like it literally wants to eat me. Drunk, piney husband doesn't seem to care. Hashtag FML. Uh, number two, don't mess with the Quakers. They'll tarnish your family name for centuries. Number three, the famous Napoleon never saw the Jersey Devil, but his brother claimed to. Uh, even some Europe-conquering emperors have wacky brothers. You know, wacky family members, not just for pineys. 
Number four, the people of New Jersey thought so little of the Pine Barrens brethren uh, that they wanted them sterilized. Who knew that the old cast of the Jersey Shore were not the trashiest people Jersey had to offer? I hope, it, I hope we make it out there someday. I would love to hit some sketchy diners and shake some piney hands. Right? I bet they make a mean meatloaf down there. Love me some hillbillies. You know, even if they're flatlander piney hillbillies. Just, oh, well, look at me here. Now I got some puke. Touch this puke. I ever did look out of my woman's beard. Well, look at me now. What the fool, Billy? I made a butt baby with the woman on mine and the governor's wallet we got. Woo, yeah. And number five, new info. Nothing. There is no uh, new info on the Jersey Devil. You really have heard all the best parts. Uh, this monster, highly doubtful it exists, a website I seem to frequent now, LiveScience.com, sums it up best, saying, Could this creature be real? The Jersey Devil's diverse features are strong evidence that it does not and cannot exist as a real animal. The most obvious, biologically implausible feature is its wings. They would need to be much bigger and anchored in a much more uh, massive musculoskeletal structure to lift the animal's body weight into the air. Birds and bats can fly. Uh, Their bodies are relatively lightweight. The reputed heavy muscles and thick limbs of the Jersey Devil would never work. You'd have better luck putting butterfly wings on a rhino. Most images of the Jersey Devil look like a monster that a high school Dungeons & Dragons player might dream up as a composite of different unrelated animals whose features could never actually exist in the same animal but look weird and scary. So what's the explanation for the Jersey Devil? There is very little to explain. We have a monster whose origin is obviously rooted in myth and whose features are anatomically impossible. Time suck. Top five takeaways. So that's it. That's the Jersey Devil. If you do a quick uh, Google image search... The description of a monster conjured up by a high school Dungeons and Dragons player, perfect. Uh, I used to doodle. I used to draw shit like the Jersey Devil when I played Dungeons and Dragons in high school. You know, just, oh, let's see here. I've got to give it the head of a demon uh, with the wings of a bat, uh, body of a goat, maybe a horse kind of deal. Let's let's, let's, let's make make the arm muscles bigger. Maybe make the talons longer. Uh, A little more fangs. All right. uh, Time for some more tour dates. I mentioned Houston and Dallas. Those uh, cities have been added to my uh, tour this year. I'm calling it the Flat Earth Tour, getting a little uh, poster made and stuff to, to bring out to shows and some, some T-shirts to sell just at shows, some, some Flat Earth Tour shirts. Uh, I'll be at the Secret Group Theater in Houston Friday, April 13th, and then I'll be at the Texas Theater in Dallas Saturday, April 14th. Only one show in Dallas, only one show in Houston in 2018. More tour dates uh, recently added to DanCummins.tv. So click the tour uh, link on there and check it out. Now, I hope, I hope you come to see some shows, man. They've been my favorite shows ever the last uh, few months. Uh, had a great meeting with app designers for Time Suck, and the coming Space Lizard features are looking fucking cool as shit. Sorry I didn't have any Patreon info quite yet for you today. Uh, coming very, very soon. I'm actually meeting with them uh, again about that this uh, this week. Uh, thanks for buying tees and hoodies and hats and more at the Time Suck store, all at timesuckpodcast.com and on the app. I finally got my own box of uh, the new Danger Brain stuff, and it's fucking awesome. They're so good at what they do. The colors are so rich and fantastic. The design's so solid. Uh, if you want to work with those guys, I highly recommend them. TheDangerBrain.com. Uh, sometimes suckers are working with them right now, which I'm very happy about. Uh, it's all done with Discharge Ink, these new shirts. Uh, the ink is in the fabric, and the Bella Tri-Blends just don't work as well for that. So that's why they went with the Next Level shirts and hoodies. And Next Level, just so you know, does fit differently than the first four generations of the T-shirt. For me, it's more of a true size now that I've uh, worn it. All right, uh, just, sorry it took me so long to get them. Uh, you know, it's m- maybe even a tiny bit big actually, uh, where the where the Bellas run a little small for me. So, um, like I'm wearing a large zip up Cult of the Curious hoodie right now, and it's plenty big. And sometimes I wear an extra large hoodie. 
Also, the zip-up hoodie uh, is a light hoodie, which I like. It's, it, it is not a I'm going to wear this out in 20-degree weather and feel great winter hoodie. Uh, the Space Lizard pullover hoodie, uh, much more substantial, much thicker. Uh, it's much more of a let's get warm and cozy deal. So uh, just uh, just to pass that along. Thanks to Sydney Shies for killing on social media. Harmony Velicam for all her kick-ass, you know, positive energy help on social media as well with her secret Space Lizards handles. And thanks to Jesse Dobner for the kick-ass editing work. Quick note on topic suggestion emails. Be sure you correctly type your email in the appropriate spot when you send it in uh, so, so we can get it back to you. If not, we send a reply to a dead address. So maybe just copy and paste or double, you know, double check the spelling. Uh, we get a few messages every week that we're unable to reply to, and and that's the ones you know sent in, you know, from the directly from the little comment section or, or you know, kind of uh, contact us section on the app and the website. Big thanks to Rebecca uh, Reba Lilly, Bojangles research intern, Jersey native. Uh, for helping with the research on this episode, I thought she did a great job. Got me pointed a lot of good directions. Gave me a lot of good content to to, to go through. She put in a lot of hard work, and I appreciate it. Also, thanks to all of you who recommended this suck: Alan Howe, William Nunez, Alexander Winkler, Austin Steers, Seth uh, Cano. Anyone else I missed? Uh, thanks to all of you who write in, listen, spread the word, buy merch, come to shows. Uh, click the Amazon link on timesuckpodcast.com or to support the show while you shop. Thanks to all of you who spread the word to your friends and family, who, who rate and review the show everywhere you listen. That's so important, man. It builds the suck up, makes the show possible. The uh, show is over 2,400 reviews on iTunes now, which is incredible to me uh, that it's happened this fast. If you, if you want to be part of the next Friday bonus suck vote, by the way, to determine the next bonus suck topic, uh, which will drop January 26th, please follow the show on Instagram. That's the easiest place to tally the votes. That's at Time Suck Podcast on Instagram. And we also have at Time Suck Podcast on Twitter and Facebook. You know, please follow us there and like us there just to show us you care. Uh, all of that helps, uh, you know, me get bookings and everything. I mean, the more social media I have, the easier it is to get to more cities, to convince places uh, to book me and bring me in. You know, every follow and like I get, every it all helps so, so much. So please do it anywhere, do it everywhere. And, uh, you know, again, it's like how Yelp works for a restaurant. Someone's looking for a new podcast, looking to be a new fan of something, they look at the reviews. Uh, So you're actively helping my career when you do that. And then regarding the contest I spoke about last week for the get-together for the Elite Space Lizard event, uh, you know, as shown on the at Secret Space Lizard on Instagram, uh, you know, we we, uh, are announcing the last contest invite now. And it's going to be, you know, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho at Time Suck headquarters in the Suck Dungeon. Where it's going to be private, you know, small gathering of space lizards. Uh, sorry we couldn't open up to more people. I didn't talk about it much in the podcast. I let Harmony, you know, uh, do that because I didn't want to open it up to too many people because there's not that many spots. It's very limited space right now. It's going to be a very little intimate gathering. We will do more down the road, a uh, ways down. We'll figure out how to get more people involved. So anyway, the winner uh, of the last 2018 Space Lizard Elite Event Invitation is Grant Shepard. So congratulations uh, to, from everyone on the Time Suck team. And uh, Grant's favorite episode is Sasquatch versus Loch Ness. He says it's one of my favorite episodes. Gotta love the wackadoodles and so much idiot gold. Uh, well, Grant, I hope you love today's Jersey Devil episode. Grant's entry says, To the great oracle of Sir Dr. Reverend Dan Suckmaster Cummins or whomever it mayest concernest, I love that. Uh, hear this. I've been a Dan fan since Bojangles was just a pissed off, badass little pupper. I discovered the suck while listening to some classic Dan stand up on Pandora. Time suck quickly became my first favorite podcast. Great escape from me from a job I hated and felt stuck in. Long story short, I quit that job. Moved back home to my super small, rural, quirky hometown of Santa Claus, Indiana, 
where I gathered all the info necessary to solve the most epic Christmas conspiracy. Damn you, Jingle Jangle. Time Suck then became a great way for me and my dad to connect when I was at home. I introduced him to the suck. I was so happy that he immediately went full space lizard. We often spend time together now driving around the truck, laughing at episodes, and making references to Nimrod and Michael motherfucking McDonald that confused the, the hell out of my mother. That's great. Being such a space lizard uh, to me means having a special bond with a bunch of curious weirdos. Yep. Uh, who can come together to discuss wackadoodle topics, express themselves, and learn from each other. Tell Dan I said thanks uh, again for reading my insane Dyatlov Pass email. It really encouraged me to pick back uh, up my interest in writing and comedy. Hope he reads this one. It's really fucking cool to meet him and hang out at his space. What's going to happen? It is going to be cool. Grant Shepard, hail Nimrod. Grant, you suck so hard. You're going to be receiving your official personal invitation via email shortly from our events coordinator, Harmony. Thank you so much for the jingle and jingle story again. Uh, heavily loved by our suckers. It was even illustrated by Harmony on the Secret Space Lizard and on Instagram uh, for the holidays. Uh, keep up the creative flow. Most of all, keep on sucking. Uh, next week, Stalin. Back to Russia we go. Will Chikatilo pop up? You know, I know you missed him this week. I feel like there's a decent chance he's going to make a cameo. Stalin ruled the Soviet Union. Joseph Stalin with an iron fist for three decades. Right in the early 20th century, some historians hold him accountable for the deaths of roughly 25 million people. His policy created famine. His gulags unjustly imprisoned millions. His subordinates executed hundreds of thousands of Russians on his behalf. You know, because of his policies, he intensified an already existing culture of paranoia and blind loyalty. He also left a legacy with many as a champion of the working man. You know, he grew Mother Russia from a peasant society into a legitimate world power, both militarily and industrially. He helped the Allies defeat the Nazis, and then he was on the opposite side of the Allies during the uh, arms race of the Cold War. So love him or hate him, he is one of the most significant historical figures of the 20th century, and I'm going to suck the shit out of him next week. Uh, Now it's time for some Time Sucker updates. Updates. Get your time, sucker updates. Okay, first up, this made my entire week. Holy shit, is this a cool update from sucker Kelsey Brisbane. So here's what Kelsey says. She says, so I emailed you the other day thanking you for the weekly suck. Now I have even more reason to say thanks. Today I was on my way to work when I hit a patch of ice. I then attempted to keep my car in its lane. I failed. I drove into oncoming traffic. Thankfully, no one was hurt, no vehicles damaged, but all parties were a little shaken up. We got out of our vehicles to make sure everyone was okay, then went on our way more cautiously. Shortly thereafter, I was pulled over because I had forgotten to turn off, turn my headlights back on after the incident. I pulled over and grabbed my ID and insurance from my wallet, and after a short exchange, I handed my documents over. I had noticed at the time I was still had Freemasons Episode 2 playing on my radio. The officer took my documents, went back to his car to do whatever it is they do back there. Then returned to my window. This is fucking amazing to me. While handing me back my documents, he said, Hail Nimrod, and simply walked back to his vehicle. Holy shit. He drove off before I could even realize what was happening, but I'm pretty sure the time suck got me out of a ticket today. So thank you. I am forever a sucker. And he and, and as he said, Hail Nimrod, thanks for the free pass. Holy shit. That makes me so happy. Thanks for sharing that, Kelsey. It is like an adrenaline shot straight into my time suck heart. Whoever you are, officer friendly. Hail Nimrod to you as well. Man, shout out to all the police officer listeners, by the way, and just police officers in general, still keeping our citizens safe despite massive media scrutiny, you know, and uh, and a starting wage in some areas that should be criminal. Few bad apples really tainted the national view of many uh, people towards officers, you know. Are there some racist officers? Has there been, you know, of course there has been, you know, racism with officers, for sure. There's been racism with the general public, for sure. Uh, Have there been officers who abused their power? Yes, of course. 
just like there is with the general public. They are human beings. They're a reflection of the culture they live in. Of course, they're flawed. Also, a lot of fucking heroes out there putting their lives on the line day in and day out. Hail fucking Nimrod to our nation's officers. Uh, okay, so next in an Oak Island update, this comes in from time-sucking mother-sucker Seth Farah, who writes, Suckmaster of the sordid squall of stupid simians of simulated space. Nice, Seth, killing it with the alliteration game. So uh, about Oak Island, a friend sent me this, and, he, and there's a link here that will be in the episode notes. It details how using logic and science they believe they figured out what really happened to some extent uh, at Oak Island. Apparently, it might be a Viking longship that moored up during a storm, subsequently fell into a sinkhole. A sinkhole at a nearly vertical angle. There's some YouTube videos linked in there. Makes a lot of sense than, or makes a lot more sense than pirate booty to me. Anyways, keep sucking, Seth. Well, Seth, uh, I watched the video, and it's a very interesting theory. There are sinkholes on the island. That is a fact. The underbelly of the island is a natural labyrinth of uh, limestone tunnels and caves. Viking ships could float in shallow water. High tide could have possibly theoretically taken the ship close to uh, where they uh, found the. Uh, you know, the Oak Island uh, treasure pit. Uh, you know, they could have uh, – Vikings could have carried the ship onto land. A sinkhole could have opened up, and the ship could have fallen in it, much like cars and homes have fallen into Florida sinkholes that we have videos and pictures of. Far-fetched? Yes, a little. You know, but but like Seth said, it does make more sense, or I think at least as much sense as pirate booty. You know, and, and if it did happen, uh, what a shitty day for those Vikings. You know, you, can you imagine that if it did happen? Uh, and again, I, I am you know admitting that it is a little far fetched, like all, all, everything else. But I think it's interesting enough to to talk about today. But can you imagine? You know, you finally get off the the water, you finally get the boat out, finally think you're safe, you know, on the land, and then you essentially get swallowed up and you drown on land. Ah, man, whoever lived lived through that, if it happened, they were pissed at Thor or whatever Norse god they were praying to that day. Um, Freemason update from Joshua uh, Russell. Dear sir, uh, mother sucker, after listening to your Freemans podcast, I started to seriously look into joining. However. Every Freemasons Lodge website and the Freemasons of California site lists that a requirement for joining is a belief in a monotheistic monotheistic religion. I haven't seen this question answered anywhere online. I'm hoping you can help. Can someone just bullshit their way into the Freemasons by just saying they believe in God? I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. Thanks. My girlfriend and I are looking forward to visiting you in San Francisco. I've seen some shows there. Yes, Josh. Uh, 100% you can lie about it. Uh, if you're okay with that, if you're okay with just be, you know just for just to get past the admission process, just say sure, yeah, no, I'm a Jewish or a Christian or uh, you know Muslim, whatever, or you know you don't even have to do that. You can just say agnostic. If you're cool saying agnostic on a piece of paper, you absolutely can get in because from what I understand, talking to other Masons, that shit will never come up once you're in there, right? It's not a you know, and then you can just you know network and we'll do whatever you want. All right, so that's that's the answer I have for that. Uh, this in from another uh, sucker from another mother, Anthony Engelman. Hi, Dan. I'm a really new, relatively new convert to the suck, having LinkedIn from your Pandora ad. How I originally found you, you started listening to your stand-up. I now have the Time Suck app. Yes! And I'm using my weekly commute to and from the airport to get caught up one podcast at a time. It's a veritable deluge of alternative media. Oh, in the, excuse me, in the veritable deluge, deluge of alternative media sources available online, it has been refreshing to find a community of people dedicated to finding truth and genuinely seeking real knowledge as opposed to simply checking the box on whatever personally validated polarized ideology suits them on any given day. On more than one occasion, I've had to stop and reevaluate what I actually believe in and why, and in several cases, been forced to alter my opinion in light of either complete information or an alternative opinion I had not given proper thought. I believe being open-minded enough to actually have a real conversation about traditionally volatile topics and being willing to have your opinion changed are both rare commodities in uh, news, social media, or entertainment. 
I've stumbled upon all that and more in this podcast, and I'm working diligently now to help spread the suck. Fuck yeah. Love it, Anthony. All hail, Reverend Doctor. You've helped make me a better person. Best regards, Anthony Engelman. Well, thank you, Anthony. That was very nice. Thank you very much. And your update leads me into a teaser for next week's update. Uh, originally, I was going to share a big update from Super Sucker, Jessica Dowd, uh, because that this uh, podcast also makes me rethink things uh, very often. Uh, but we're still going back and forth, so I need to let it simmer some more in my brain crockpot. Uh, basically, Time Sucker, Jessica Dowd, and I have been emailing back and forth regarding the fraternal aspect of the Freemasons. Uh, too much info to list all of our exchanges, but you know, uh, essentially, Jessica was disappointed in my endorsement of the Freemasons. Freemasons' right, excuse me, to have a men's only organization because, as a chemical engineer, she works in a male-dominated field already, and the network uh, networking opportunities with Freemasons could be very beneficial to her career. Uh, beneficial in ways, you know, that me going to a meeting of the Mocha Moms, you know, to use the uh, all-female group I referenced the other week. It would not compare to. Essentially, in a patriarchal society where men historically have held all the power, a group like the Masons kind of helps keep that power in the hands of men because there is not currently a female equivalent group. So again, we've been going back and forth, having a very positive discussion about balancing freedom, uh, the freedom to do what you want with your group, which I uh, definitely believe in, especially as a, more of a libertarian-type person. I believe people should be able to do what they want to do as long as they're not harming others. But how do we balance that with you know equal opportunity without uh, kind of you know creating power imbalances? It's complicated. It's complicated. Uh, fantastic, challenging, hard issue. Uh, exactly what time sucks should be, and, and I'm glad we're still discussing it. And I'll, and I'll share more about it next week. Thanks, time suckers. I needed that. We all did. All right, so that's so that's it for today. Thanks for listening to another time suck, everybody. Uh, have a great week. Uh, hope to see some of you this weekend in Providence at Rhode Island Comedy Connection, and be careful in Jersey. Watch out for the devil if you're in the Pine Barrens, and really watch out for one of those tricksy pineys. All right? Oh, look at that puke licking on her face. Best puke I ever did lick. Keep on sucking.